Welcome back to the Almost Shameless Podcast. I am your host, Tanya Ray Fox. We are back and it is post divisional round. The results are in. We have a final four teams. We have our AFC and NFC championship matchups. And as bad as wildcard weekend was, divisional round was equally as good. It really restored the playoffs for the 2021 season. We got two good closed games on Saturday. We got two instant classics on Sunday. The Sunday night game against Bills Chiefs was somehow better than most people had even predicted that it would be, which was funny because we all knew that was the premier matchup of the weekend. And it still outperformed expectations. So we're going to hit on all the games. And then I do want to talk about some of the like big, broad narratives coming out of the games, right? Um, We got to talk about the overtime rules. It's come up again. Somehow the Chiefs are involved yet again. We remember this, you know, from a few years back. We had the Rams Saints debacle uh, with the no pass interference call. Um, You know, the Saints got robbed in that game. Uh, Then it goes to overtime. We know what happens there. We had the Chiefs Patriots in uh, Patrick Mahomes' first postseason. And we know how that one went. Patriots went on to the Super Bowl. So that was in the same postseason, right? That was, that's how we got Rams Patriots in the Super Bowl that year. Uh, So we are back to talking overtime rules. And, you know, I have takes. I have a really strong opinion on this. And so we, I'm really going to break that down. We also have to talk about Tom Brady, what happened in their loss to the Rams, but more specifically where things stand right now with Tom Brady and where things are going to go from here. Um, I'm sorry, I'm distracted because my mic is like moving up on its own. And I'm realizing that as it's going, hold on. Okay. Uh, We need to talk about Tom Brady retiring or not retiring, where things stand, how they look right now. I'm going to give you my perspective as someone who's covered the league for a long time, has paid attention to Tom Brady for a long time as Patriots fan, but also, you know, sort of reading the tea leaves a little bit on what's going on there. Uh, Who knows? He could be retired or be returning to football by the time this posts tomorrow, but we'll get into it either way. And I do want to talk specifically about the reaction to Chiefs Bills, um, this sort of like insistence that we just saw the greatest NFL game of all time by a lot of corners of um, fans and media and people on social media, right? I want to break down exactly what that means and what we should expect from the greatest NFL game of all time. You know, throw recency bias aside, we all are prone to recency bias. We, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that because sports are an in the moment thing. They're one of the few things that we still live in the moment with. So I'm not here to criticize anybody for feeling that way. I certainly felt like that was one of the best games I'd watched in a long time. Certainly it was the best game of this season. Um, and probably of the last couple of seasons. And of course, how good the game was is, uh, what has people so amped up about the overtime rules to begin with, right? So we're going to talk about all of it. That stuff coming up. 
So let's just get into it and kick things off with Titans going into this game as the number one seed, a much maligned number one seed. This is not a year where the best team in the AFC was the number one seed. Uh, the Titans sort of stumbled their way into that one. Not that they're not a good team, not that they're not perennial contenders uh, to make the playoffs and win a playoff game. But let's be honest, this was not a team we anybody thought was going to win the Super Bowl, um, even with Derrick Henry, right? And uh, the final score bore that out. Uh, both the Bengals and Titans not firing on all cylinders at all times. These are uh, the Titans are an experienced team who are missing um, a key piece. And that is an elite quarterback. And the Bengals are a good young, talented team with a very, very, very good quarterback and not great coaching. So uh, the 19 to 16 final score sort of proved the point. Joe Burrow sacked nine times by that uh, very good Titans defense. But at the end of the day, the better quarterback won. That was, you know, that's been kind of the story of the 2021 season in general. And certainly um, there was a lot of elite quarterback play this weekend. Uh, and not every time did the quarterback, best quarterback win. But we did see that when teams, you know, when all things are equal otherwise, the better quarterback on the field is going to win the game. And Joe Burrow is an emerging superstar. And, uh, and in a lot of ways, the Bengals are a surprise show in the AFC championship game, but it's hard to look around the AFC and say who should be there instead of them. Right. You know, this was a, a, a conference that had parody all season long and uh, the cream of the crop rose to the top. You know, on Sunday night, we saw the two best teams in the AFC are the Bills and the Chiefs, and they ended up playing each other in the divisional rounds. We, the game we saw is what we should be getting in the AFC championship game. That's that's the real uh, battle of the Titans. But the Bengals earned their way there, and there's an argument to be made that they are the third best team in the AFC this year, all things being equal. But Joe Burrow getting sacked a record nine times was pretty disappointing. And I've had my doubts about Zach Taylor from the very beginning. The Bengals are an organization that made the playoffs and consistently lost in the playoffs throughout the Marvin Lewis era, right? Like they had Carson Palmer and they had Chad Ochocinco and they had these uh, star players that would compete in the AFC North and they would make playoff appearances and then they'd be right out. They'd be right out the window. There wasn't the special, right? And Marvin Lewis was a pretty decent coach. He wasn't anything great, but they held on to him way too long. And I am worried that that is going to happen with Zach Taylor because of the fact that this is an organization that won its first playoff game in 31 years. And so it feels a little counterproductive to get rid of your coach. And I, you know, I certainly don't think they're going to, but I do think that he is hamstringing that team. Um, was the offensive line struggling? Yes. Uh, this is a Titans defense that doesn't mess around. Mike Vrabel, one of the best defensive lines in the NFL, really came for this young quarterback. And I didn't see any adjustments from Zach Taylor. Um, you know, when they were bringing six, he only had five guys blocking. You can't protect a young quarterback and give him the opportunity to go through his progressions and do what he needs to do when you're constantly outnumbered on the line. So I don't know. You know, I don't know if there's room for Zach Taylor to grow. He's a few years into this experiment. I think he was a premature hire to begin with. Sean McVay coaching tree is, is successful, but there's always going to be busts. And 
I am not 100% convinced that Zach Taylor is going to be the person that elevates Joe Burrow and this team from squeaking into the AFC championship game to a potential Super Bowl winner, right? It just doesn't feel that way. So my big takeaway from that game, which, which was the least exciting of the weekend, is just I would keep an eye on what they do with that coaching staff because it's they're going to keep Zach Taylor, but maybe there's some adjustments to be made on the coaching staff and with personnel to help bring in-game adjustments and bring them along quicker because they have gone from a team rebuilding with a young quarterback to being contenders very quickly. And I don't want to see this opportunity squandered, right? That's stuff coming up. The game on Saturday night, 49ers, Packers in Lambeau, freezing cold night, zero degrees. It was a classic winter game up in Green Bay. And so low scoring, that's fine. 13 to 10 is a perfect winter, you know, freezing cold, snowy game score. We weren't going to see the best of either of these teams offensively. And we didn't. We saw essentially a 49ers team that out schemed the shit out of the Packers. And that's what we expect from Kyle Shanahan. It's what we saw happen against the Dallas Cowboys in a higher scoring game. And it's what we saw this week. Obviously the final score doesn't reflect any sort of dominance by the 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't great. He has a real knack for ill-timed turnovers. I don't expect Jimmy G to perform as poorly against the Rams. That's a team that they dominate. Um, The 49ers are undefeated against Sean McVay under Kyle Shanahan. So it's going to be a totally different ball game next week for the Niners in terms of their ability to operate offensively, just because they're going to be in LA. They're going to be indoors. There's going to be a, it's a whole different situation, right? But Jimmy G is not the focal point of the 49ers. And that makes them very different from the rest of the teams in the playoffs, uh, the elite teams that were left in this week. And then obviously that will play in the championship games next week. They are a Debo Samuel, George Kittle, schemed offense. And I really think what D'Amico Ryans has done defensively for that team has gone a little underrated this year, because obviously it's been a bit of a roller coaster for the Niners. Um, But, you know, the legend of Aaron Rodgers is over, right? He is simply not a player who rises to the occasion in the playoffs. And we've tried to ignore that for a long time because he is one of the great statistical players, one of the most talented players at the quarterback position in the history of the NFL. So we can't wrap our little minds around the fact that that same guy would somehow have a mental block, a lack of ability to rise to the occasion in the postseason. But that is the case. He is five and four at Lambeau in the playoffs. So this is not, you know, the the legend of Lambeau and people terrified to go in there and play. It doesn't exist. And the Niners certainly weren't afraid of it. And at the end of the day, they just needed one extra play and it worked. The Packers are an Aaron Rodgers centric team. They have built around him. This is a team that went 13 and four in the regular season. There was absolutely no reason, no excuse for losing that game other than this is a team that is based around the quarterback, just like most teams in the NFL and their quarterback fucking failed them again. And, you know, outside of all the crap and all the memes and all the stuff that people said about Aaron Rodgers after that game, I have to be honest and say, there's nothing about Aaron Rodgers or his personality that would indicate he is a guy who uh, thrives under high pressure. To me, Aaron Rodgers is, has always been somebody who wilts under pressure. He wilts under pressure of the playoffs. He wilts under pressure from his own team and from the media. He wilts under the pressure of uh, social media. He is a coward. He's a cowardly person who does not like to be challenged and who needs to feel like the smartest 
most important person in the room at any point in time. And people like that do not respond well to adversity. They don't respond well to looking at the scoreboard and seeing that beat up mediocre Jimmy Garoppolo was hanging in with him and his stadium in the snow, in the freezing cold in Green Bay. He is not, he does not have the mental makeup of somebody who can say I'm an underdog. He always, he's always thought he was better than people. He was a golden boy in California. He's been a golden boy since he arrived in Green Bay and he's enjoyed being that. And at any point in time, if anybody has ever challenged that, he has gotten super defensive, incredibly condescending. And so here we are, you know, we can't take personalities completely out of the game. Does it entirely say who you are as a football player based on who you may be in interviews and in the locker room and behind the scenes? No, but it's certainly a decent indicator of something. Most quarterbacks of his stature have remained in the good graces of their teammates and their friends and their family. And Aaron Rodgers has not. He does not handle being challenged very well. And it's not a great trait for a quarterback who across the course of his career is going to be put in situations where they have to prove themselves. Regular season's only gonna get you so far. Every year that goes by, Dan Marino slips lower and lower and lower on all the quarterback rankings because as time goes on, his lack of ability to get shit done in the postseason has bit him in the ass. And Dan Marino was at, at the very least had the excuse that it was not a completely quarterback centric league when he played. You could still hit people when he played. You can't be a first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback and not be able to win a divisional round playoff game at home in the freezing cold in the snow against Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm sorry. I know he's not on defense. I know he, I know he's not out there defending Garoppolo and Debo Samuel, but like, let's be real. You've got De Devontae Adams. You've got your offensive line. You've got Aaron Rodgers' arm. No excuses anymore. He's a coward off the field and he's a coward on one. Hot stuff coming up. Okay, let's move on to the really good stuff. Sunday afternoon, Rams at Buccaneers. And this was a game that looked like it was going to be a blowout, that looked like it was going to be not competitive. Halftime score, 20 to 3. Rams come out and score again in the third quarter. It's 27 to three. As many people noted at the time, awfully close to that magical 28 to three number, uh, you know, and things started to feel like they were warming up and everyone's like, nah, it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. Like the Bucks don't have it. They're hurt. They're struggling. Defensively, they haven't been able to do much where, unless the, you know, unless the Rams are turning over the ball inexplicably. Um, but the thing is, the Rams continued to turn the ball over inexplicably. And when you turn the ball over inexplicably against Tom Brady, little, a little light bulb goes off, a little switch, a little on button is pressed somewhere in his cyborg brain that says, okay, now it's time to find the end zone. I'm, I'm done. You're going to give me the ball back. So we've got fumbles from Cam Akers. We've got fumbles from Cooper Cup. We've got Matt Stafford looking for butterflies while his center is snapping the ball and giving Tom Brady an extra 25 yards, right? So what happens? Tom Brady, Tom Brady's. That's what happens. It happened. And, and the Bucs scored 24 points in a row. It doesn't matter when the opposing defense isn't playing you well if you're just going to give the back, ball back to Tom Brady yourself. 
And that's what happened. So we were staring down the barrel of Tom Brady taking the Rams to overtime when Matt Stafford did what he does best and closed out the game with the home run on broken coverage to Cooper Cup, and the game was over. Put Matt Gay in field goal range, and boom, final score 30 to 27. Matt Stafford, a lot of people don't realize this. One of the great game-winning drives quarterbacks in the NFL. Very good at executing game-winning drives, even when he was in Detroit. Usually it's not with like 40 seconds on the clock in a playoff game, but it's a new era for Matt Stafford. And for all the mistakes that were made, the Rams were the better team. Matt Stafford wasn't the better quarterback necessarily because he was on the field with Tom Brady, but he played well enough. And they are rightfully moving on to the NFC championship game. A lot of people at this point are saying there's no way Tom Brady's going to go out like that, right? It, losing the divisional round, he was clearly defeated. It was an incredible comeback. It was one of those games where everybody at that point was prepared for Tom Brady to pull it out because we've seen this so many times. So while they did lose, there was it was there's such a vintage, incredible Brady quality to it. He was so masterful in the last quarter and a half of that game. And he dragged that team to the point where they were, um, you know, 40 seconds away from taking it to overtime and things didn't go his way. But I actually don't agree that this is a game that would prevent Tom Brady from retiring. Um, he's a, he's not stupid. He has to know how difficult it is to retire after winning a Super Bowl. The only way you're not going to retire after a loss in the playoffs is if you win the Super Bowl. So maybe he wants to at least play in it. I don't know, but he had a chance to do that last year and he didn't do it. If he was so set on that, he won his post Belichick Super Bowl and he still continued playing. Obviously the reports have been that he is mulling retirement. And after the game, he said, you know, he's going to take some time to think about it. He has to talk to his family and, you know, it's important that he's on the same page with Giselle and the kids and blah, blah, blah. We've heard this before, um, but there were some other things that happened after the game that have me wondering if maybe he is genuinely considering retiring. First of all, um, he did, he was extremely congenial with the Rams players on the field at the end of the game. Lots of chatting, shaking hands, patting guys on the back, good game. Um, none of the Brady pouting and running into the locker room and ignoring guys that we see from him sometimes when he's being a sore loser and Brady has been known to be a sore loser. He gets really competitive. We've seen it before. Uh, he usually makes up for it at some point down the line, but we didn't see that, you know, and sometimes when, and when I see that, I see somebody who maybe is starting to resign themselves to the fact that, Hey, like this might be my last rodeo. And if this is my last time on an NFL field as an NFL quarterback, you know, I want to go out with my head held high and tell these guys that they played a really great game. And that is in the back of my head. The other thing is that I believe it was Levante David. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But one of the premier box players did hint at the fact that there's been turmoil this season on the team. Things haven't always been like perfect behind the scenes. We know what happened with Antonio Brown. I talked a few weeks about the Antonio Brown stuff and how it really did expose Tom Brady to a lot of criticism. He opened the door for that and he ended up being made to look a fool by Antonio Brown. And I'm sure it took a little bit of a toll on him. And it does, it, there's a credibility factor there at play with the team. When you put yourself and your reputation on the line for a player that goes and does what Antonio Brown did. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. 
Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website. So sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. I think he's tired of Bruce Arians. I think that the Tampa Bay experience has been fun for him. He's been able to spend a lot more time with his family. He's in a beautiful, sunny place. He doesn't have to worry about the winters. We know how much that bothered him. And I think riding off that high of the Super Bowl win last year was really exciting for him. But the adrenaline comes down and he starts looking down the barrel at another season. And you know how Tom Brady is. It's back to the grind as soon as he's back out there. And all of a sudden, he's not on a team full of young players hungry and dying to play with Tom Brady and ready to put everything on the line. All of a sudden, he's on a team full of champions, champions who are getting contracts, champions who are getting paid, champions who are coming back with a ring on their finger, a couple extra dollars in their pockets, some new mansions. And that changes a team. It takes a really, really strong organization and football culture to stop a team from slipping. And, you know, they pulled out a lot of good wins this year. They had a great record, but you could tell by the end of the season, you know, this is, you know, first of all, they didn't have the health and there were some cracks in the armor as there usually are Super Bowl hangovers are real. And Brady has to know better than anyone that this is not a team and this is not a culture that is set up to have the organizational success year in year out that he had in New England that Patrick Mahomes has in Kansas City. It's just not the same. Bruce Arias is a good coach, but they don't have that in Tampa Bay. They just don't. And he knows that he knows it better than anybody. And then you, so you take all of that and then you factor in his family and Giselle and the kids have gotten some more time with Tom since he's been in, in Tampa. And so they've gotten a taste of that life, having a husband around more often, having the dad around more often, having those opportunities, longer off seasons, more time. And we know Giselle has been wanting Tom to retire for a really long time. I think for, Giselle, you know, she probably is not going to ever completely put her foot down and say, you cannot do this. If that were part of their marriage, I don't think that they would still be married, right? Tom Brady's maniacally competitive. He loves football more than almost anything. And she's not, you know, he's, she's not going to say like, I'm leaving you if you keep playing football. And she's probably not going to tell him to stop playing football after he wins a Super Bowl. And then he comes out and plays like an MVP this year. And he loses in the divisional round. So maybe there is a conversation to be had where it's like, listen, you played your ass off. You can go out on top. There is no shame in going out right now. You have seven rings. You've won two rings. You've run rings with two different teams. You proved yourself away from, from New England. You performed better in the last two years with Tampa Bay statistically than you were, than you even were in New England going to Super Bowls. Like there's nothing left to prove here. I don't think that Tom Brady himself worries about having stuff left to prove or not, but I do think that that is the conversation that's in play with him when he sits down with his family, Giselle, his parents, you know, who he's incredibly close with his kids are growing up at a rapid rate and all they know 
is their father playing football. They only, obviously that's all they know. And so I'm sure that in some ways, other people have to speak for them on what they may or may not want. They don't know what it's like to have a completely full-time father. There's a lot of factors at play and he is going to be 45 years old. And there are other opportunities in football for Tom Brady whenever he wants them. You know, he doesn't have to ride off into the sunset. He can do basically whatever he wants. And he's got this brand and he's got these other ventures so I just, I've seen a lot of Patriots media and even national media talking about the fact that there's no chance Brady's retiring. And I am certainly not here to, to argue that Brady's going to retire after like seven, eight years of doing that over and over again. But I am saying there are stuff, there's things in the tea leaves that weren't there the last couple of years. He has achieved things he hadn't achieved two or three years ago. It would be nice if he were to win MVP this year, because I think that would be like a nice little, a nice little cherry on top of his accomplishments post New England, maybe would help him feel a little bit better about a decision to retire if he's genuinely mulling it. But there are just some things floating out there that make me think, I don't know if he's ready to sign back up for a, another year with the Buccaneers. And I just don't see him going to another team. Hot stuff coming up. Okay, and finally, Bills Chiefs. Uh, what, the best game of the year, we already talked about it. It was an offensive performance unlike anything we've seen in the NFL. These are two quarterbacks that are extremely similar in their ability uh, to make big plays. They can both run. They can both do the crazy arm angles. They both have incredibly strong arms. Th these guys, Mahomes and Josh Allen, are the future of the sport. There's no two ways around it. And they proved it with, it, with every basically every minute they were on the field on Sunday night. Josh Allen finished the game with 136 passer rating, four touchdowns, no interceptions, no lost fumbles, ran 11 times for 68 yards. On the other side of the field, Patrick Mahomes finished the game with 123.1 passer rating, three touchdowns, no picks, no fumbles, ran seven times for 69 yards and a touchdown. But for all the offensive brilliance of the end of the game, it wasn't a crazy shootout from the very beginning. They went to half tied 14-14. And really the, the thing we're going to remember most about this game is the scoring after the two-minute warning. Minute left on the clock. Josh Allen drives, finds Gabriel Davis again for the fourth time in the game for what we thought was the game-winning play. They go up 36-33 with 13 seconds left on the clock. Alas, Patrick Mahomes is still on the other side of the ball. And if you don't think he can make two plays to get that team into field goal range, you are wrong. And the rest is history. Coin flip in overtime goes to the Chiefs and it's all over but the crime. The Chiefs win the game. So there are two points of contention I want to address. The first is greatest game in the history of the NFL. Shall we? That's what I've been hearing. That's what people are talking about. I've listened to other analysts talk about this and pod on other podcasts and things because I really want to get the sense of what people are feeling and why they're feeling this way. Because when I was watching this game, I thought, damn, this is everything I wanted from this game. This is fucking perfection. This is like, they are the future of these positions. This is the future of offensive football. But it never occurred to me to call it the greatest NFL game of all time. And I, then I see other people are feeling that way. And I'm thinking, okay, what am I missing? Right. Cause I don't, that's crazy to me. I just, 
this I've seen stuff like this before. Like, have I seen someone get into field goal range with 13 seconds left on the clock? I don't, I mean, I prop, I guess not like, you know, no, I haven't, but I've seen some pretty crazy shit, you know, and crazy and game ending stuff that we just forget about because we're not supposed to remember that stuff in the middle of games like this, right? Like you're going to forget this stuff. And it was incredible, you know, and the, the scoring under two minutes was incredible, but there's more to football than offense. And there wasn't a lot of defense at the end of this game. And there certainly wasn't any defense in the overtime, right? And so I kept thinking like, this is definitely like an offensive performance that I will, you know, remember watching, you know, the last couple of minutes here, but I also get the, this feels very much like Patriots chiefs from a few years ago when the Patriots beat them to go to the play to go to the Super Bowl against the Rams. Um, it just be, it had the same feeling very close. Tom Brady and Mahomes are going back and forth. It's high scoring. They go to overtime team that wins the coin toss scores, scores the points and they win. Right. So here's the thing. I posited on Twitter that Super Bowl 51 is the greatest football game that I've ever watched. And a lot of people were rightfully annoyed with me because they feel like their definition of the greatest football game is the best football played, not the greatest comeback. Like if someone's down a bunch, it means they have to come back a bunch, which means the game was boring beforehand, right? If you're up 25 to three at the half or 28 to three in the third quarter, then there's been some bad football by one team, right? Okay. Well, why is it the fact that all the late game scoring in this game is what we think is so impressive, right? Like obviously throughout the game, Josh Allen and Mahomes were doing amazing things, but what it came down to was an absolutely crazy final two minutes of the game. And so you're telling me that like a game that was tied at the half 14 to 14 is the greatest game of all time because it was competitive. Well, let me put it to you this way. No defense had to be played at the end of that game. It was going to be whoever got the ball and got to score last. Defense was not being played at the end of that game. Gotta love what the kickers were able to do. And so kudos to the special teams, but like defense was out of the equation by the end. They could not keep up with Mahomes or Allen. Like it just was done. Greatest defense in the league this year. And they just had nothing for Mahomes. Good as the Chiefs defense had been for a little while in that game, it fell apart, right? So let's contrast that with Super Bowl 51. You see elite defense from the Falcons against the Patriots for the first half of that game. You see elite offensive execution from the Falcons in the first half of that game. And you're like, holy shit, it's a blowout. I can't believe I'm watching this. You get to the third quarter, they go up 28 to three. And it's like, this game's fucking over. It's in the middle of the third quarter. Then all of a sudden, something starts to shift. And you're like, okay, well, I mean, they're scoring, but like, how long can they do this, right? And- with six minutes and 25 seconds left in the third quarter, the Patriots score their first touch on, touchdown of the game. It's 28 to nine. And something in the back of your brain says, the Patriots would have to play perfect offensive, defensive, and special teams football from now until the end of this game to even have a chance. They would have to be so fucking perfect on offense and defense and in that kicking game it's nearly impossible. They'd have to be more perfect than the Falcons were in the first half because they have no room for error. One missed opportunity, one turnover, one single mistake on offense or defense. And this game is over. They do not have the time. So from the moment we realized that with six minutes and 25 seconds left in the third quarter, 
with the Patriots now down 28 to nine, the Patriots played perfect football, not just perfect on offense, not just dominant on defense, every single time their players were on the field, every single moment for a quarter and a half and then into overtime touchdown force a punt field goal force a fumble to get the ball back touchdown convert the two-point conversion force a punt touchdown convert the two-point conversion force a punt send the game to overtime win the coin toss eight plays 75 yards touchdown to win the super bowl no room for error. The last mistake they made, the last missed opportunity the Patriots had in that game was the Steven Gostowski missed point on their first touchdown. After that, perfect football, offense, defense. You saw every phase of the game matter in that game. You saw every type of situation happen in that game. Momentum swings comebacks, offensive perfection, defensive perfection from both teams in different ways, in different halves. It was a complete and total microcosm of football in one game, not to mention the greatest quarterback of all time was playing in it. And you're telling me that this was the greatest football game of all time. You don't have to think it was Super Bowl 51. I gave you my reasons why, but I got to say, you got to have defense at the end of a game. There's two sides of the ball. You got to have a little bit. You got to have something. There's a reason there were no turnovers in that game because neither defense could do shit. You got to force turnovers. You got to make plays. Both sides did a good job of preventing big plays from both Mahomes and Allen for the first two thirds of that game. They, their schemes were great. They were doing a lot of good work to prevent anything drastic from happening from two really big play quarterbacks, but it was like sticking your thumb in the hole of a dam that's leaking and watching all the cracks as they form, knowing this is going to break, whether I hold my fucking finger here or not. Defense didn't matter in that game. You're just going to remove an entire part of the game of football in the greatest game of all time. Okay. Agree to disagree. Okay, my final point with the overtime rules, because uh, we saw this happen again, like I, I, you know, the Chiefs are a great example of this. Andy Reid supports changing the rules so that both teams have possession in overtime, regardless of whether uh, the first team scores a touchdown or not. As it stands right now, you flip a coin, the team that wins the coin flip gets possession and they are able to win the game without the other team getting a possession as long as they score a touchdown on that first possession. If they only score a field goal, the other team gets a chance to tie the game back up with a field goal or win it with a touchdown. Andy Reid and other teams have suggested that this that both teams should get offensive possession of the ball in overtime. Here's the problem. This is yet again another insult to defense. The, the game is already so fucking rigged for offenses. It is already so impossible for defenders to stop quarterbacks, to stop wide receivers. You cannot touch them. There is so many advanced rules that have taken power away from the defense, and it has made it a much more offensive game anyway. That is fine. I'm not complaining about it, but you can't do another thing that tells the league and tells the players and tells the fans, listen, defense doesn't matter. If they can't defend this first possession in overtime, that's okay. They'll just get the ball back and the offense will do it. We're removing any need to any incentivization for these teams 
to invest really dramatically in their late game defense. I know it seems right now like it's impossible to ever figure out a way to defend Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, but that's crazy. Innovation will always exist. People will always find find new ways to advance the game. And if we de-incentivize people to do that on defense by saying defense doesn't matter, then it's going to devolve into, into a game of just shootouts. If you're unlucky enough to be on defense in overtime, you better have a fucking game plan and you better have personnel and you better have schemes and you better have some way you can stop Patrick Mahomes. They're not there yet. I understand the league's not there yet, but to say that they never will be, to say that there's no ability, there's never in the history of football has there been a lack of innovation. Somebody who broke the NFL to the point where they just no longer could defend against them anymore. There will be innovation just like there always has been. The real solution, in my opinion, to the overtime issue is just eliminating the coin flip altogether. Don't add more sense of fate and luck into a game that is so so rigorous, right? Like, don't give us a reason to feel like we've been robbed some way, shape, or form. Fans, players, all that stuff. It just, the, the luck of it is just ridiculous. The coin flip at the beginning of the game, fine. It's just deciding who gets the possession when. But- just eliminate the coin flip. Instead, if the game goes to overtime in the playoffs, home team gets the ball because they were the higher seed. They had the better regular season. Or if you don't like that, you can do what I think you should do because I'm a agent of chaos. Away team gets the ball because home team couldn't win the game in regulation. And so now the away team is going to get the chance to score on your ass. You can decide who gets the ball in overtime ahead of the game based on who played the teams with the most blue jerseys that season. I don't care. As long as you go into that game knowing who's going to get the ball in overtime, if that's where it goes to, not only are you eliminating the sense of luck and the sense of, and like the sense of persecution that teams feel when they don't win the coin toss and that fans feel, but you are incentivizing new types of strategy and gamesmanship and scheming at the end of these games in the fourth quarter. If you know, if you're a team and you know, okay, if we go to overtime, we're going to get the ball back. You're going to start seeing different strategies, different approaches to that late game situation. And if you're on the other side of it and you know that you are not going to get the ball first, there's a chance they can beat you without you having a say in it. Things start to get a little more aggressive, right? You have to be more aggressive. You have to take more risks, take more chances. And how does that not make the game better than just a coin flip and here you go. I wrote about this a little bit on Twitter too. So you can see what I said on there. If you care to, you care to investigate that, but that's my first, that's, that's where I'm at with it. And I think it's worth, you know, talking about more, uh, cause this is going to be an, a conversation that comes back up in the off season. Again, Art Rooney, the second has already said he would consider, um, an argument for changing the playoff rules. Uh, Andy Reid and the chiefs tried to get them changed after the Patriots game a few years ago. We may say a rule, but I just, I don't, the answer is not to say, Hey, don't worry. Defense doesn't matter that much. Anyway, just get your offense back out there. We'll, we'll give it to you. Nah, let's be a little more creative than that. Okay. I will be back with you next week. Obviously after the championship games, we will have our super bowl matchup. I did my predictions after the wild card round. I can't remember how wrong I was. I think I had the Titans winning. So I was wrong on that. I think I had the Packers winning. I was wrong on that. I think I was right about the Rams and shit. I think I picked the Bills too. Not a great week for me, but my prediction for the Super Bowl, Chiefs, Rams. There it goes. I believe we're going to have a Chiefs, Rams, Super Bowl. The second Super Bowl in a row with a home team. 
which is very weird considering it never happened before last year. So uh, I see it happening. And uh, based on my history with picking, we will end up with 49ers Bengals somehow. Um, either way, it will be good. Thanks again for joining me. I look forward to talking to you next week. I will be on another podcast, I believe this week. So I'll send that out as well. In the meantime, hit me up on Twitter, hit me up on Instagram. I'm at Tanya Ray Fox on both those platforms. The podcast is at shameless TRF on both those platforms. And if you're listening to this, but you want to watch it, they always go up on YouTube at some point. So I'll post that to my Instagram. It's always posted all over social media. Have an awesome rest of your week. Thank you for joining me. And I will talk to you again soon. Bye.